on the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another weekly edition of the Red Raiders Football Podcast brought to you by the Avalanche General Sports Department. I'm Don Williams, AJ Media, Texas Tech beat writer. Uh, joined as always by AJ Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva Jr. It's uh, we're in the middle of a week after uh, Red Raiders lost 62 to 28 last Saturday against uh, Oklahoma at Jones AT&T Stadium. Red Raiders back on the road this week for the first time in a while, getting ready to take on the TCU Horn Frogs Saturday, 2:30 p.m. kickoff at Amon Carter Stadium. TCU a 10-point favorite in this one, uh, Carlos. And I guess uh, we can go back. Uh, you you uh, here in a moment. We'll be visiting with uh, you visited with, and uh, folks will be hearing from Drew Davison, the TCU beat writer for the Fort Worth Star Telegram. But before we get to that, we uh, will uh, answer some questions. And before we get to the questions, we'll uh, I guess do a quick recap of Texas Tech and Oklahoma last Saturday. Absolutely. And I think it will be a really quick recap, Don, because I mean, as I kind of joked with you, that game was basically done in the in the second quarter when it was, I think it was 35-7. Yeah, it, I mean, it was pretty. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. I mean, it, and, and here's the crazy part, Don, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I know maybe it may not have been as close as many, many people thought, but I thought after that first drive, everything was working well. You get the seven points. Your defense kind of uses that energy or momentum, even though people don't like to use the term momentum, but it seemed like everything was going Texas Tech's way. And then all of a sudden, things that you had talked about, had written about, uh, pre-snap penalties, fumbles, they just all snowballed for Texas Tech. And after that, it just seemed like that's all Oklahoma needed in terms of a spark. And Spencer Rattler led uh, the Sooners to six straight touchdown drives and that was really all she wrote at that point at least from my perspective I don't know if there was anything else you could take away from it other than I mean it was just uh, again I I thought Tech started off really well and then all of a sudden they just really let everything kind of snowball and from there I don't want to say the term give up but certainly there there was a lack of effort for a little bit up until that second half well you know we've uh, it's kind of like you said they came out like gangbusters uh, offensively and defensively, and um, uh, you know, he, he got a three and out, got a drive for a touchdown, got Roderick Thompson in the end zone, got Oklahoma in a third down situation. Spencer Rattler drops the snap, yep, but then he picks it up and throws it for forty-one yards. Then he then he get him in a third down situation again on the same uh, on the same series mm-hmm. uh, in your uh, in Texas Tech's end of the field, and Zach McPherson gets Marvin Mims on the ground. But he used the face mask. Yep. And so uh, instead of a punt, let Oklahoma complete a pass. Instead of forcing Oklahoma to a field goal, you give them a, a penalty on a new set of downs, they go score a touchdown. And from then on, it was kind of uh, Katie bar the door from OU. Uh, you, one thing you uh, did not necessarily know was coming was uh, Oklahoma – Gets a couple of key players back from suspension for the first time yeah. this season. Ramondre Stevenson, the big running back, who was suspended at the end of last year, first game this season, goes for 87 yards and three touchdowns. And then Ronnie Perkins, who was a, I believe, second team All Big 12 defensive end last year, getting him back. He helps the pass rush. Um, 
it, it's kind of troubling, I think, from a Texas Tech standpoint. You know, there's been a, a couple against both Texas and Oklahoma. You came out and had a real sharp, crisp drive for a touchdown right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And then you had lulls. Now, in the Texas game, of course, you came back and you wound up scoring a lot of points that day. And yeah. had a good game offensively, but you had a, you had a lull after – they had a lull after that first series against UT where Keyshawn Carter was the man. And and then in the first series against Oklahoma, Eric Ezekonma was the man. They threw him up yep. three passes. Three, three passes, yeah. Robert Thompson breaks a big run, and then Thompson's in the end zone. And you know, that, that's the kind of the troubling part to me is uh, you, you do that right at the beginning of – you've done that right at the beginning of a game those two times in particular stick out for me this season. And then you don't sustain that sharpness and energy and whatever it was that allowed you to do that. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe it's a case of uh, the more talented team. In the case of Texas or Oklahoma, they're just kind of like, oh, okay, we're rolling out here against Texas Tech. We're going to beat these guys. And Tech kind of pops them in the mouth and then, Talent takes over, and the better team kind of asserts itself. Maybe it's the, maybe that was the case, but uh, you know, Tech didn't give itself a chance the other night because of uh, yeah, turnovers and the yeah, the turnovers, yeah, and the pre-snap yeah. penalties that put them. I, if I'm not mistaken, they were in third and forty-seven, I believe, before uh, Fourth, yeah, third and forty-five, third yeah. forty-five, yeah. So I mean, it, it it was certainly not a good situation for them. And then, of course, we'd be remiss not to mention. I know, obviously, there's. Obviously, the COVID nineteen situation, but right before uh, the game even started, during pregame warmups, Tony Bradford uh, injured himself. I know that was something you'd spoke to Keith Patterson about. It kind of made him sick, kind of knowing the fact that he didn't have one of his starting defensive linemen uh, going into that game. But uh, just to, in terms of that, I mean, I know there's a lot to be said about it. But T.J. Vasher uh, wasn't in there. Not sure how much more of a difference he would have made in that contest. But I think. Uh, just well, you gotta let's let's run down the list here real quick. I got, I got them all jotted down. That way we that way we uh, that way we get all the names in here. Defensive mm-hmm. front seven. You're missing Nick McCann and and Krishan Merriweather. You knew that beforehand. They were out. And then Tony tackler Merriweather. Yeah, Tony Bradford gets hurt during uh, during pregame warmup. Literally like five minutes before kickoff. Eli Howard gets hurt in that game. So. Yeah, I think you'll have McCann back this week, but uh, not sure the status of the other guys. Our running back has kind of been an ongoing storyline the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, it's Roderick Thompson with what looks like a rib injury. Xavier White with what appears to be a shoulder injury. So you're down to your third and fourth guys there. And uh, Taj Brooks has been, you know, he runs hard, but he's only averaging about three yards a carry. And Chadarius Townsend, who's kind of been the fourth, you know, third or fourth option, he did give you a uh, a touchdown run the other night, but it was late in the game when it was already long since decided. And then the receiving picture got a little bit better last week, I guess. Uh, you got uh, uh, Keyshawn Carter back from that elbow problem after he had been out for two games. And folks might not have noticed McLean Mannix suited yeah. up and actually got into that game late. And I believe that was his first game actually of the season. Mm-hmm. And you kind of alluded to it. T.J. Vasher, not there, second week in a row. Dalton Rigdon, he has been out since late in the Iowa State game in concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. Dalton Rigdon will be back, uh, you know, like a, 
last week or week before, but uh, Matt Wells said that he had uh, a setback last week. And so um, these things kind of piling up on you. And uh, um, I think it's, you know, you you want to have all hands on deck against in a game like Oklahoma to have a shot. Yeah. I I think it's equally critical in a game like this week where there's not as much of a talent disparity. Uh, and you're playing on the road. TCU's not been, not exactly been tearing it up this year. Um, so, you, if you're from a Texas Tech standpoint, I'm sure they'd like to have uh, get a lot of those guys back. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit frustrating too, Don. Because I mean, we've talked about it. It's not like Texas Tech is lacking in the Big Twelve talent department. Whereas you could have made that argument last year, or maybe the last several years where it's like there were times where you could tell that on the field, Texas Tech did not have the talent as their opponent, but this year they certainly have matched it. Maybe not for Oklahoma. I I, I can give you that just because again, you bring back Stevenson, another great player. And then uh, some of the other guys as well that really kind of stepped up for them as, as you kind of uh, even predicted a little bit, Spencer Rattler grew up. He certainly had a, a very low turnover game. Didn't really, uh, get rattled for lack of a better term. I mean, like you had mentioned that fumble, that fumbled snap or low snap could have really changed things, but he was able to stay composed, found Austin Stogner for that 41 yard touchdown. And then after that, it's like that really made him confident to know that he could throw that long deep pass, which is what they were able to do throughout that contest. And uh, I don't think you're going to probably have the same problems against TCU. Although Max Duggan is another really, really good dual threat quarterback leads the Horn Frogs in rushing, which I think that's going to be one of the things that people can look at is, can you slow down a TCU running attack that doesn't really have a bell cow? And then when you look at their wide receiver core, they don't have a guy named Jalen Rager who's really torched you the last couple of years. So I think that's something else is, can not only the defensive backs slow down their wide receiving core, which I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, has Blair Conrad, former Coronado High School standout. So He'll be on there. I'm pretty sure a couple people from Lubbock will probably be cheering on from them. But uh, I think those are the two big things, Don, is can you take advantage of the fact that TCU has not been, I don't know if the term term gangbusters works, but consistent in their rushing and their passing attack so far this year. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. There's, 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 not a, there's, not a, there's not a receiver and there's not a running back on their team right now at this point yeah. it's that, that you look at that, that has big numbers. That 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 really gets your attention, and so I think you know key key for TCU winning this game, and key for whichever team wins this game is how effective is Max Duggan. And I think from a Texas Tech standpoint, I think he's the guy who scares you. He threw for three hundred twenty-three yards here last year. That's his career high, mm-hmm. and um, you know I, I came up with this stat the other day. You know, there's six six times in his career he's run for at least seventy yards in a touchdown, and those were not against uh, those were not against Pitland FCS teams. Every every one of those six games was in the Big Twelve, and one of them was last year here at Jones Stadium. He ran eighteen times, seventy five yards, had a twenty yard touchdown and a twenty six yard run. He really hurt Tech, particularly early in that game last year, with his ability to run. And uh, and he again he's done it against Big Twelve defenses pretty consistently, and he's been I don't know necessarily the reason for this, but he's been a more uh, 
his completion percentage has gone up from low 50s to high 60s. So he's been uh, a pretty accurate passer this year. And uh, and you'll get to that with Drew Davison here in a moment, but let's go back to Texas Tech and talk about, I guess, the disparity in quarter, quarterback situations. TCU, you know who your man is, I think, now yeah. and, and for the long term. Does Texas Tech know who its quarterback is now or for the long term? Has Henry Columbia done enough to continue getting the start or back to Al or back to Alan Bowman? I have my thought. I'll let you express yours first. I thought it was interesting that Alan Bowman got a couple of series in before that game finished up. I think they at least wanted to give him a little bit of game rep. Uh, certainly you don't want to have Henry Columbia get hurt uh, as well if you are trying to keep him. But I, I I think that the best way I can put this, Don, neither has shown or earned the right to be the starter so far. Henry Columbia shown nice flashes, yes. Alan Bowman has shown nine flash, nice flashes, yes. He's just been uh, bit by the injury bug throughout his career. Are they both good quarterbacks? Yes, in certain times, but I certainly think uh, – it could be a situation where I think Columbia gets one more shot, and I think that could be the one that uh, decides whether or not they stick with him or Alan Bowman because I, I, I really do think that Alan Bowman is probably pushing Henry Columbia in practices right now. Um, I certainly do think that there's a little bit more of a chip. I think it's more of a boulder on his shoulder now because of uh, the fact that he lost his starting gig, which he felt like uh, certainly it, it was his to lose, and he certainly lost it, but – um, I think the other thing, too, that you can like about at least what Henry Columbia can bring to you. Last year, Jet Duffy was a dual-threat quarterback, had a lot of success against TCU. I certainly think that could be something to look at for Texas Tech because, uh, again, we've, we'll probably talk about it till the end of time. A dual-threat quarterback is obviously better than a guy that sits in the pocket. But uh, I think the one thing that you have to see that I think Texas Tech coaches finally have some game tape on is how does Henry Columbia – deal with adversity and certainly it wasn't the best in the world uh, with the fumbles and kind of not diving for a uh, not diving for a loose football that uh, Oklahoma was able to recover and that changed some momentum Um, but the the one thing that you have to you have to look at at least is what happens after that first drive and I think that 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 was a very good point by you is yes you have that great first drive against Oklahoma you have that great first drive against Texas but then after that it just seems like either the opposing defense figured something out or there's just not a rhythm that's gotten by this offense. And I don't know if it's because of a lack of a running game, lack of a passing game, but at least from my perspective, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the one thing this offense needs, and obviously Alan Bowman has provided it, we haven't seen it from Columbia because maybe it just hasn't been called, but I think they need to throw the, ball, the, the, the deep ball. I think they need to open up this offense a little bit to where the defensive backs aren't as close to the line of scrimmage as maybe they normally would be because they know they're not going to get the ball thrown over their head. And I think that may open up some things for the running backs. And to answer your question in in a very long sense, I think Henry Columbia is probably your starter going forward until he probably does not prove uh, that that is not worthy enough uh, for him if maybe he has some really bad, uh, maybe a first, uh, a bad first half against TCU. Uh, I got, I think, a little different opinion. That is, uh, I think I'd like to see the playing time split a little more. Uh, even though he's not necessarily the word, but I wouldn't mind seeing Alan Bowman again. I keep going back to, uh, you know, when we see him as best, he has, uh, he's had some big games. And, you know, yeah. 
you know, he had five touchdown passes against Texas. Now he also mm-hmm. had some, he also had a, uh, that big interception down in the red zone against Texas, but he had five touchdown passes against Texas too. And just can Henry, uh, is his ceiling as high? I'm not sure that it is. I don't put as much, I don't really fault him for the interceptions last week. I think Carter, even though the ball th- was thrown behind him, he, he needs to come up with that pass and certainly can't have it go off his arm and up into the air to be picked. Yeah. Miles Price has to catch that pass, even though, yeah, it was hot. Um, Columbia put it on him. But you're a receiver. you gotta, you got to catch that pass instead of letting it go off your hands. So I don't like fault Columbia for the interceptions, but um, I I think Allen – Allen at his best, I think, is better than Henry at his best, is, is my impression. And so I I don't like to use the term short leash, but uh, but I'd be more inclined to give Bowman a little more of a – throw Bowman out there again if the, if the offense isn't doing much. And, again, he's uh, – again, not necessarily – maybe being a little bit unfair to Columbia because, again, you don't have uh, – doesn't have your first and second running backs out there behind you. And uh, you're missing you've been missing receivers for the last couple of weeks. So that's not made it easy for him. But I'd be inclined to uh, uh, have another look at Allen. I, I agree with you what you said a moment ago. Going deep a little bit more, not letting the safeties uh, screw screw it down tight on you. And I think that's yeah. particularly I think that's particularly um, pertinent this week because TCU safeties. Is probably the best position group on the team from an outsider's point of view. I'm referring to last year because Trayvon Merrick, number seven, and uh, Ardarius Washington, number 24, if I remember correctly. Uh, those two guys were ranked as the top safety tandem in the entire FBS in, in all of college football last year by Pro Football Focus. But I think they're a little bit young at corner, and they've given up uh, a lot of passes. You know, we talked last year about how many passes of 30 or 40 yards plus at Texas Tech gave up. Mm-hmm. TCU's been giving up a lot of a lot of uh, big plays in the passing game this year. And like I say, my, my uh, thought on that is, you know, the safeties have a pretty big, great reputation for them. I think it may be it may be corner where they're a little bit inexperienced and being exposed a little bit in that regard. So, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. Uh, but Texas Tech takes shot downfield to uh, to Ezekama or Jalen Polk, the guys on the outside on Saturday. Uh, try it early, try it often. On that note, let's switch to questions because we got a lot of questions about some of those uh, things that you just brought up. So, Emery Lida, I apologize if I say your name wrong. Like I said, I'm terrible at pronouncing stuff, but uh, will we see Loke Fungi or Landon Peterson get some more snaps going forward after some late game playing time versus Oklahoma, especially given the injury or personnel deficiencies at both positions? Uh, you're right, Joe, but good, good eyes. Both of, both of those guys got in last week. Um, I, don't, I don't think Peterson is as likely – now, Western Wright is questionable. Western Wright is questionable this week because he came, a lot, came out of last week's game with what looked like a leg injury. But uh, the kind of rotation there has been the, the first guy in, be it at center or at guard, is Will Farrar. And so I think Farrar's – if Western Wright can't go, I'd assume we'd see Farrar in the starting lineups because I mean, that's how they played it 
this year. He's kind of the most next most experienced guy past your first five. Um, and so I wouldn't necessarily expect to see Landon Peterson, although I think his, I think uh, Peterson's day will come because uh, David Yost uh, was real complimentary of him look, from uh, after spring ball, the, those four practices that they got in. He really liked what uh, Peterson had done last offseason in strength and conditioning and uh, the first few practices of spring before it got shut down. So I think his day is coming. I'm not sure he's quite there yet, though, uh, in terms of being in rotation. Well, Fungi, kind of the same thing. His, his, his day is coming. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. When kind of remains to be seen. It looks like, you know, on the outside, um, obviously Vasher and Vasher and Ezekama are your guys if Vasher's there. If he's not, then Jalen Polk has been has been the next choice. And uh, Trey, then beyond that, Trey Cleveland has been the next choice after that. And, you know, Cleveland played early and often against West Virginia and got in the end zone against the Mountaineers. So I don't know that uh, I don't know that uh, they see Fungi as quite ready for uh, to be in early in the game and take a lot of snaps. But I but I haven't heard anything that makes me think that makes me think that they are. Uh, any less excited about him than they were on signing day. It's just a matter of him kind of getting reps, getting comfortable on the offense. I think he was one of those guys who, uh, whether it was for COVID isolation or quarantine or some little injury, I think he uh, missed a pretty good chunk in August. And so I probably set him back a little bit and it may take him a little extra time to, to make his case. That's the only Texas Tech-related question we have this week, Don, and I guess that happens when you lose by about three touchdowns. So, um, <laughs> five, five, five touchdowns. Yeah, five to, I, I can't add, as you all know. So um, we've got uh, a question that is quite interesting that I'd like to know. What was the first high school game you covered? Man, you know, uh, I, saw, I saw that earlier, and, and thanks, Marcus Gutierrez, for the question. Yes. Uh, I... <sighs> I honestly can't remember, and it would have been in the fall of 1986 because even before I was working here full-time for the HA, I was covering Mm – when I was writing for the uh, University Daily, now the Daily Toreador, I was covering high school football games on Friday night for the HA. The season of 86 and the season of 87, I remember a a big Meadow-O'Donnell game. That that might have been it at O'Donnell. I remember (laughs) – I remember Michael P. Mann, former AJ sports writer who covered high schools, uh, told me, uh, don't bother with uh, eating before you go to O'Donnell because they'll feed you there. And they have uh, all sorts of uh, good food in the press box. Big that old spread, man. That's the best. That's that a sports dream. That might have been why that game stuck out to me. It might have been Meadow O'Donnell. I don't, re- I don't recall for sure if that was it. I'll tell you one of the first high school games that I remember covering vividly for a standout individual performance was Amherst playing Wilman Union one night and saw Dwayne Miles go for 402 yards yeah. against the, actually that was before they were Wilman Union. That's when they were just the Wilman Wildcats. I believe that was a playoff game. Um, and I maybe, you know, it, I, I want to say that the score was the same as uh, last Saturday night's game. I want to say it was like a 62 to 28 game. I just remember Dwayne Miles ran for 402 yards. And for folks who don't know, I mean, you're talking a young man who was 6'1 and 215 and was just 
a real physically impressive kid playing six-man football, went on to West Texas A&M, became the career rushing leader at West Texas A&M. Now, let me put that in context. West Texas A&M had Mercury Morris of the Super Bowl champion Miami Dolphins. Um, they had Dwayne Thomas from Super Bowl champion um, Dallas Cowboys among their all-time rushing leaders. Dwayne Miles from Amherst broke the career rushing records at WT and actually went on to uh, have a little cup of coffee with the Minnesota Vikings. I don't think he made their team in the in the regular season, but was a free agent and went to training camp with the Vikings. I got to cover him on Friday night uh, in, a, in a six-man football game, and that was early in my career. Now it's uh, very memorable to this That's day. It. Got, got some got some stuff to cover. Speaking of high school, we got another question from uh, Evan at Sprint Car Eight. Thoughts on the Idaloo football program? You got many. This is the uh, you know the Wildcats are consistently good. That they are. You know what? You know what? Here, here, here's another one. You know, I remember I covered Johnny Taylor's first game as head coach of the Idaloo Wildcats. Idaloo legend, by the way. Uh, and I don't remember. Exactly what year that was. That was very early in my AJ career, but I covered Post and Idaloo. And uh, Post won, I believe, it was 35 to nothing. Coach Taylor didn't have a whole lot to work with that year, I don't think, right on the front end of his program. And, uh, of course, that was not, uh, that was not exactly um, indicative of how his career would go with the Wildcats as he wound up eventually winning the state winning a state championship for uh, the green and gold. They, and they have a big one Friday night, Carlos. That they do. Taking on Roosevelt. Roosevelt's 8-1, and 3-1. One, and one. I believe Idaloo's 7-0, and 4-0. Oh, oh. uh, they're obviously come the, – the only reason they've got that weird weird record is because they uh, had to the, – the old COVID-19 precautions earlier in the year. But they've uh, played really well. Uh, you've got some great uh, – Great football being played there at Idaloo. Jeff Lofton uh, always gets a great team, uh, as you mentioned. The, the one thing that's always consistent about Idaloo that I could tell you almost every year, they're going to have a bell cow running back. That's Brock Leatherwood this year. Um, and then they've got a staunch defense. If they have both of those two things, I guarantee you they're going to be really good. But the thing about that is, will they be able to slow down a Roosevelt Eagles offense, which started off 7-0 and for – to kind of tie it back to you, Don, first time since 1986 that the Eagles have started off 7-0. and So they are now – I remember when they were good that year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so so they are good again with Matt Landers. Uh, they've got a really, really good uh, uh, quarterback, dual-threat quarterback in Jacob Torres. I believe he's got about 1,100 yards, uh, 19 touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken. And then they've got another kid, Alex Trevino. I believe he's about 100 yards shy of uh, – being a thousand yard rusher as well. He's got five touchdowns. So it'll be interesting. Can Idaloo slow down that really, really potent uh, Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt offense? Certainly. I'm sure it's going to be a, a game that uh, just to, just to give people hints, maybe our game of the week this week, but. Um, yeah. And I'm going to, with, with apologies to my friends at Roosevelt, I, I picked Idaloo in this one. Well, we both did. I think most people did. Well, and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe making too much of the common, the old common opponents deal, but uh uh, Idaloo beat Abernathy 42 to 14, and uh, Abernathy beat Roosevelt 28 to 12. That was in back on back to back Friday night. So, uh, based on kind of the common opponents thing, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Idaloo in this one. 
I think it's going to be a little bit closer. I think if uh, Roosevelt can get off to a quick start, I think that could be really big for them because uh, one thing with Idaloo, though, they have a good running attack, but sometimes they can't pass it when they get behind. So that could be the big difference, at least from my perspective. After that, Don, we got one more question. I, we're almost approaching the 25-minute mark like we normally do, so we're going to have to cut it off. But some guy named Ryan Hyatt, uh, you, you may know him, I think. Um, he's asking uh, – when Don Williams hustles college kids out of meal money at billiards, does he feel any remorse of it? Is it the fault of the kid for thinking he knows how to shoot pool? I just got to come up with some new material. Yeah. I used to pool all the time, but honestly, I haven't. Uh, I'm, I'm way out of practice and probably uh, uh, probably wouldn't pair too well. It's like uh, riding a bike, though, ain't it? Uh, to, some, to some extent, yes, but it's also kind of like uh, any other sport. Um, all about the angles. I know yeah, that you can you can, uh, you can definitely lose you can definitely lose uh, lose sharpness if you don't stay in practice. And I have not stayed in practice anytime. Uh, and I haven't stayed in practice the last few years, so I'm vulnerable. Yeah. Well, I do know I've been trying to get you out of retirement every once in a while. Not to say that I'm the best pool player in the world, but it'd be nice to say that I have a win over Don Williams in pool. You know, it's something I can kind of kind of tout for a little bit, but. On that note, I don't know if you got anything else, Don. Uh, those were all the questions I saw, at least from all the people. We appreciate you all sending in questions. Like I said, I typically try to send that about Wednesday, Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon. Appreciate you all sending anything to at CM Silva Jr. or at AJ underscore Don Williams each week. We always answer your questions. If you got anything about Texas Tech football, Don obviously is the guy. Now that Texas Tech men's basketball is starting up, I'm more than happy to answer any questions about that. Chris Beard is obviously – I don't know what the word is, but I suppose eager would probably uh, be the one that now that uh, the schedules started, or at least the schedule was released, pardon me, today, November 25th is going to be their first game against Northwestern State. And uh, we'll see whenever uh, the Red Raiders get on the court, how they are able to really manage the amount of talent that they have this year going into the season. So, going to say, the kind of marquee matchup is uh, Texas Tech hosting St. John's, right? Uh, that one, and then they, they, they've also uh, – they're taking on LSU on the road at Ben Rouge. But I think, uh, yeah, certainly that, that's one in December. The other one that everyone's looking at is when Kansas comes to town. Obviously, that's usually one that's uh, in February or late February because that's kind of at the back end of your schedule. But now because of COVID, to make sure that you've got a little bit of time and uh, a couple weeks to kind of maybe reschedule stuff, uh, Kansas will be on the front end now. So – They'll be ending with uh, Texas, so that one should be a good one for everyone uh, to kind of watch as well. But should be a good one. So we will uh, there'll be plenty of time to talk about basketball as the year goes on. Carl's will be all over that. Um, uh, again, earlier uh, this week, Carl's visited with uh, Drew Davison, the uh, TCU Horn Frogs beat writer for the Fort Worth Star Telegram. And so for a little more uh, for on the from the Horn Frogs end. For Saturday's game at Fort Worth, uh, we will now let you listen to that. So for uh, for Carlos, I'm Don, uh, and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. And hello, everyone. I'm Carlos Silva for the second edition of the Red Raider podcast. And of course, as you well know, we do our opponent preview with that. So with that in mind, we've got Drew Davison covering all things TCU athletics for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. How are you doing, Drew? 
Hey, I'm doing good, Carlos. Good to be on with you. Hey, appreciate you as always uh, kind of helping out because I know obviously we're all busy at this time. Uh, I know a couple couple months ago it didn't seem like stuff would be happening, but now obviously we got a football season and kind of all that stuff. So we'll be chatting a little, a little bit about Texas Tech as they travel to take on TCU this weekend. That game will be 2.30 p.m. on FS1 in Fort Worth. Uh, big, big thing, at least uh, – I guess kind of looking at Tech's perspective before we switch to TCU, uh, Drew, is um, I guess what have you kind of seen from Texas Tech minus the fact that now they've kind of – it seems like they're at least sticking with Henry Columbia for the most part. Did, did, did that kind of seem to be the, the uh, I guess, the tone that maybe Gary Patterson mentioned when you all were talking to him earlier this week? Yeah, and he did talk about the quarterback, and he feels the offense, you know, kind of like with Jet Duffy last year, you know, that – you know, preparing for a multiple or a, a dual threat guy. Um, and, you know, th they feel like uh, the, the offense is running fairly similar to what it did last year. So they're going to be prepared. And, and they know, you know, obviously uh, Tech scored 34 on West Virginia a couple weeks yeah. ago. And, mm -hmm. and, and ha you know, obviously the Texas game, they scored a lot of points. Um, so they've shown some, some potency to be able to put up points. Um, so TC's defense will definitely be prepared for it. I know everyone's going to look at the final score with Texas Tech and Oklahoma. I guess how did Gary Patterson, if anyone asked him about that performance or if that doesn't even kind of stick with him in terms of what he saw on tape of uh, the Red Raiders? Uh, yeah, it does. I, I mean, he, he thinks the Red Raiders, you know, obviously he, he spoke highly of them, didn't want to give much bulletin board material, but, but at yeah. the same time he knows – that, hey, uh, you know, offensively, TCU has to be able to throw the ball. Um, you know, Texas Tech rank, ranks last in pass defense. And, you know, Gary's a firm believer that, hey, establish the run to open up the passing game. So he talked a lot about that and the need to be able to beat teams vertically and whatnot. And, and obviously, if you look around the conference, Texas Tech would seem like, hey, if there's any team to get it going against, it's probably the Red Raiders. So going to that point of yours, we're talking to Drew Davison, covers all things TCU for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram during the Red Raider podcast. You talked about them being able to run the football. I know one thing that kind of really sticks out to me, Max Duggan, a very, very uh, good quarterback, but the fact that he's their second leading rusher, what should that tell me that he is behind uh, Darwin Barlow by about uh, not, not too much? <laughs> right, well... Well, no, number one, I should tell you that uh, TCU's got quite a bit of running backs. I mean, they've kind of got a committee approach going right now. They they haven't really had a quote-unquote bell cow uh, kind of emerge from, from a group of five running backs, and, and it looks like they're going to be down one, maybe two uh, running backs to Markway Foster, one of their retro freshmen. Uh, does not look like he's going to play, and, and Kendry Miller, a true freshman, could uh, or is questionable going into it. So – We'll kind of see uh, how that shakes out. But, you know, D Duggan, you know, going back to Duggan, he is, you know, kind of the true dual threat quarterback. He's able to uh, keep the ball and score. And he had a big touchdown run against Texas. Yep. Uh, he, he had some big first down runs uh, last week. Um, so he is able to uh, – against Baylor last week. And so he, he has been able to do some good things with his legs. And, and that's certainly – um, an area where they, you know, it's kind of a catch trying to, they want obviously to take advantage of Duggan's running abilities yeah. and have him 
be a threat in the running game. At the same time, they don't want to expose them to too many hits uh, because, you know, the offensive line's kind of um, uh, going go – or a, a lot of turnover along the line from last year to this year. So uh, they, they're trying to limit the number of hits Duggan's exposed to. So, obviously, they don't want him running 20, 25 times a game. Yeah, well, he's got 61 rushes so far. And uh, just to correct myself, he's actually the, the leading rusher for TCU at this point. So, like you said, to your point, a little bit of running back by committee. May not see some of those guys. But uh, one thing that Max Duggan has been able to do is throw the football to a, a variety of guys, at least three guys that have 150-plus yards or more. And a guy that uh, we're very familiar with, Lubbock Blair Conrad out of uh, Coronado High School, what have you kind of seen from uh, some of these wide receivers? I know Tate Barber is very explosive. Quentin Johnson's kind of shown flashes. But the one thing I haven't seen is their ability to kind of score more touchdowns. Is that just the maybe the fact that they haven't gotten the run game going and that's kind of helped uh, defenses kind of key in on that? Yeah, I would say that's part of it, Carlos. And the other thing, I mean, they need to have more than six passing touchdowns in yeah. five games. And mm-hmm. obviously Gary Patterson said that. I'm sure the offensive coaches would say the same thing. Um, and really, it just comes down to just trying to find some sort of consistency. I mean, Tay Barber, like you mentioned, leading the team in receiving yards, has 254 yards and 24 catches. Uh, but, you know, he had a game where he only had one catch for 10 yards. So, uh, you know, they got to find more consistency. Quentin Johnson, highly touted freshman out of Temple. He flipped uh, to TCU from a Texas commit late in the recruiting process. He's flash. You know, he had a 50-yard uh, reception early on the season. He's, mm-hmm. he's had some big gains, made some nice catches. You can really see the potential there. But, again, only 12 catches uh, for the entire season. So, kind of where's that consistency of getting him the ball more? And, you know, the same with the, the other guy you mentioned, Blair Conright, you know, 13 catches. So, it's just about getting some more consistency in the passing game and, and trying to figure out, hey – uh, th- these are kind of my go-to guys. And, and much like the running back situation, no one's really emerged as bell cow. Yeah. Uh, Receiving-wise, no one's really kind of taken over that number one target, so to speak, that Jalen Rager carried the last couple seasons. Yeah, and he's certainly a name that people will remember uh, over the last couple of years just because of his uh, ties to Texas Tech and, of course, his, his bloodline as well. But um, one guy that a lot of people, that at least that have been following the Big 12 and especially TCU when they play Texas Tech, Garrett Wallow, he returns from the defense. He's leading the team in tackles. I guess from your perspective, I know everyone seems to say, well, Gary Patterson knows defense. I guess what, what has been the, the thing that's helped the Horn Frogs this year with Gary Patterson and his, uh, his ability to kind of scheme and make sure that Big 12 offenses aren't scoring as much as, as, as they normally would? Yeah, well, I, I mean, obviously Gary Patterson's one of the great defensive minds of, of college football and will go down as that regardless of, you know, what happens the rest mm-hmm. of his uh, coaching career. But, you know, you need players and, and guys like Garrett Wallow uh, to make those plays. And, you know, it's one thing to, to you know, kind of come up and, and devise a, a great defensive game plan. It's another to be able to go execute it. And, and Garrett Wallow, uh, kind of has those tweener traits. He was a safety in high school, uh, transitioned to linebacker in, in college. So he's got the speed and, you know, obviously has some good range. So he's been able to make uh, a lot of tackles. And, and TCU's defense really is geared toward those linebackers uh, stacking up 
a lot of tackles and D winners is second on the team, the, the other linebacker in the four, two, five, uh, defense. But the, the thing where Garwall is, you know, doing well too is, you know, I think he's averaging, uh, one or, or a little over one tackle for loss a game. So he's been able to make some plays behind the line of scrimmage. And, and that's been a good sign for TCU. Uh, you, you know, but if you look at the games, you know, it's kind of been, they, they've either been really on or they've, you know, struggled at times and, when they've struggled, it's been teams being able to beat them with the big plays. Um, you know, like a guy like Brees Hall had a 75-yard touchdown run in the opener for Iowa State. So they, they have been prone to those big plays. But, you know, when TCU's defense is on, uh, they're pretty dang good. Recently, they have not been that very good, but they were able to get the victory last week to snap a two-game losing streak by beating Baylor. I guess what, what have you kind of seen or what's kind of the temperature in terms of Gary Patterson? I know there were some talks about him being on the hot seat. I would imagine most coaches, just based on the out, outside uh, COVID-19 pandemic, maybe get a, a little bit of a pass. But, I mean, at, at some point was maybe this expected was – was TCU expected to have a good year this year, or is two and three just one of those deals where it's just like people are are, are just upset that there that, that there are more wins than, than losses this year? Well, first off, Carlos, I mean the, the notion that Gary Patterson's on a quote unquote hot seat uh, is simply a fan thing. Yeah. It's certainly mm-hmm. not from the administration or the athletic Correct. department. Gary Patterson is not on the hot seat, but yeah. so I just want to make that clear. Like, you know, yeah. Gary Patterson is, is in, is in good standing and, and they mm-hmm. still believe in him. And, and, you know, to be honest, they're the expectations for TCU are what they are because of Gary Patterson. So yep. they're going to give him uh, a long leeway to, to, you know, get it back to, to that level. Um, but the two and three start, you know, I, there is that COVID caveat you mentioned, uh, but I also think, you know, they're one in two in one score games uh, yep. this season. Last year, they were one in six in one score games. The, the only victory uh, was over Texas Tech in that yep. one score game in Lubbock. But uh, so, you know, TCU, the record doesn't look great, but they're not that far off, mm-hmm. um, you know, from, from being pretty good. And last year with the true freshman quarterback, they even go 500 in those one score games. Uh, they're in a bowl, and, and people are probably thinking, hey, that's a pretty solid season with a true freshman. Of course, uh, you are what your record says, but long story short, you know, TCU's not too far off. They still have a lot of talent. They still have players coming. It's just, uh, you, you know, they, they haven't been able to win those, you know, kind of close ones or, or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um, so they've got to figure that out and, and make those, you know, winning plays late. It's funny you mentioned that because I know the bugaboo with Texas Tech and Matt Wells is that same fact. They've just been in so many close games. They haven't been able to kind of get those. They finally got one against West Virginia. Certainly last weekend wasn't as close, so you didn't really have to worry about that statistic. But at least in the series that I've seen the last couple, uh, maybe going back four to six games, it seems like the, the games have been very close, one to two possession games. Are you kind of expecting the same thing this weekend when these two teams play just because of, like you said, maybe the – the struggles in the run game, maybe Texas Tech still trying to figure out stuff with their quarterback position as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I do expect a close game, and and I think, you know, there, there's nothing that either of these teams, I think, have done so far this season um, that says, hey, uh, they should dominate this game, right? I mean, I mean TCU's, like we said, off to a 2-3 and three start. 
kind of not where they're expected to be, where they want to be. Um, you know, Texas Tech obviously had the three-game losing streak in, before beating West Virginia. So, um, you, you know, I, I think it's two teams that, you know, probably have similar talent. I think TCU might have the slight edge just in terms of, you know, guys who might be playing on Sundays. But um, but I do expect a close game, and, and it'll be interesting. I, I think, you know, at, from TCU's standpoint, they feel pretty good about what they did against Baylor last week, jumping out to a 30-0 lead. Uh, kind of had to hang on there in the second half um, to avoid a complete meltdown. But, you know, they still had a 10-point win. So I, I think they feel like the pieces are starting to come into place and, and you know, they, they can finish pretty strong. Uh, but with that being said, you know, t- Texas Tech, I, I, I don't see it being a cakewalk. Yeah. Once again, that's Drew Davison. Covers all things TCU athletics for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Appreciate you coming on the Red Raider podcast, uh, Drew. And uh, I'm sure Don will be happy to say hello to you. He's he's, uh, he's very wary of wanting to go on the road. So I'm sure he's happy to make a trip to Fort Worth out there for that. 2.30 game, of course. You can watch that on Fox. And uh, you can follow at Drew Davison, at Drew Davison. And you can follow at Lubbock Online and at Raider Sports for any information about Texas Tech. And then, of course, LubbockOnline.com. For Drew Davison, I'm Carlos Silva for the Red Raider Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week.